Warning, MF Uncensored contains adult language and discussion. Listener discretion is advised. We're a couple of misfits. We're a couple of misfits. What's the matter with misfits? That's where we fit in. We're not happy and dilly. Don't go around willy-nilly. Seems to us kind of silly. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to MF Uncensored. Don't forget, if you guys are listening to us on the go, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, basically anywhere you guys get podcasts. You can also find more of our content on our website, themisfitfaction.com. There you find links to not only this show, but our other shows like the Multiverse Fancast and Cinematic Adventures. I'm one of your hosts, Paul, and I am joined via the Zoom studio. We have a special guest tonight. I'm really excited. This is our we haven't done an interview in a hot minute, so this is going to be fun for me and hopefully our guests and hopefully you guys listening. Tell us. Let us know. And that's Mr. Bob Edinger. Bob, how are you tonight? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. Now, before we even get started, I have to tell the story <laughs> about how this interview finally came together and Bob was like the best sport with how bad I am at certain aspects. I can talk on a podcast for 45 minutes straight and never lose my train of thought, never stumble, always kind of rock and roll through it. But if you make me schedule anything, if you make me do anything like that, I am the worst. So Bob reached out because he is a a mutual friend with one of our former guests, Keith Ross Nelson, who Keith, big shout out to Keith, because not only was that one of the funniest and weirdest, in a good way, episodes that I've ever done, but he was super passionate about getting Bob on. He thought he'd be a really good fit for our show, and I'm excited to have him introduce himself to you guys in a second. But between Bob and Keith, they were in my mailbox. They were in, Keith was messaging me on Instagram, which is hilarious. Always polite, always respectful, but always like, hey, I, I want to be on, let me be on your show. And I'm the asshole going, hold on, let me, I'll get back to you. And then it's a week later, I'm like, damn it, I didn't get back to them. But uh, so I want to first and foremost thank both of them, especially you, Bob, for for being so accommodating and so schedule sensitive. I I think that's what I'm going to say. So yeah, why don't you tell our listeners really quick just a little bit about yourself off the bat? Okay, I've done a, quite a number of things throughout my life. I did stand up for a long time, which is how I met Keith. Mm-hmm. We used to do the same sort of runs on, on the middle of nowhere in America, and so I segued from there to trying to get in a job writing on a sitcom, and so I landed at Sony in their temp department. And they said, well, we have a job for you calling people. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do telesales. There's no no way. But they said, no, no, actually, you're going to be reaching out to people, telling them that they have qualified for an interview to try out for Jeopardy. I thought to myself, wow, okay, these people probably will want to hear from me. And so I parlayed that temp job into a regular job and was there for about a decade. It was there during the time that Ken Jennings had his big long win. Brad Rutter had his five-time wins and a number of other good five-time winners. Part of my job in the contestant department was actually reaching out to people and calling them to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make a lot of those calls, but I happened to make the call for both Brad and for Ken, which oh, is kind of my wow, that's claim awesome. to fame while I was there. That's so cool. So it, yeah, it, it was. And then, you know, my job would also be in the green room collecting paperwork and helping them throughout their days. So it was very interesting during Ken's run, all the various things that I had observed. It was it was a unique time for sure. Man, I'm like, I'm trying to keep mental notes of, all right, I have to ask him about this, this, this and this. <laughs> but I'm trying to go in order. I'm usually really right. good. But all right, I'm going to start off. I'm going to start off right away. I'm a huge Jeopardy fan. I love Jeopardy. Okay. My wife, oh. my wife makes fun of me because I like. We have different work schedules. So actually, Jeopardy's on right now. That's how much I wanted to do this interview. I said no to Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. So for me, we got, good, we got a good champ on now, so it's quite a sacrifice. That's what DVRs are for nowadays. It's awesome. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. So just a little backstory for those of you guys who've listened to the show more than once. You know, our, our my co-host Ronnie, who's sometimes does interviews, but mostly does the topical stuff. He and I used to go after when well, we worked together. We would go right after work to get dinner, and the local hibachi place would play Jeopardy, and there was no sound. So we would always just get a little a little loaded and just start yelling out answers. <laughs> okay. And no matter what, we were always right because we didn't know what the answer actually was. Right. Sure. So yeah, and then and what are you working on right now though? So that way our listeners kind of have an idea of where beginning, middle, end we're okay. gonna be doing. So so yeah, now it's sort of segueing into writing. What we're gonna talk about a little later is a book called Some Sports Stories. It is an audio book only. So I happen to have two really good friends who are voice, both voiceover guys who are both really good. Mm-hmm. And they're all really short stories. So I thought it'd make perfect sense to farm out some to one person and some more to another person and kind of joggle back and forth. So there's 36, 37 stories in all. They range from under a minute all the way up to about 10. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that the, all the stories have in common is one way or another, they're all about sports. Hmm. All so right. everyone's sort of... There's a number of people, Keith included, feel like the book has sort of a Wonder Years kind of vibe to it. And another person called it a love letter to sports. Oh, that's great. But the thing that's been really interesting is I have, number one, a lot of a lot of women listeners who really like it, which not to say that women can't be into sports, but they are very upfront. It's like, you know what? I'm not super into sports, mm-hmm. but I really like the relationship aspect. I talk about myself growing up. I talk about the exploits of my daughter, her playing in various sports. And then end it with sort of a tribute to my dad, not only talking about how is a sports-related scattering of his ashes, but also the, the speech that I gave at his funeral ceremony, which was sort of a baseball-themed mm-hmm. uh, speech that that closes the book. Wow, that's awesome. That's really cool. It's So it's interesting because normally when we have guests on, they're here to talk about one specific thing, like the book that they wrote or a project that they're working on. It's awesome when I have somebody, not to disparage any of our other guests, because I love just talking about talking to people about what they're passionate about. But for you, like, it's a lot like Keith when I talked to him, where it was like, Keith was like, I'm here to talk about stand-up comedians and all these other things. <laughs> and so suddenly I'm, I'm chasing Keith verbally just to try yeah. and keep up. I think we titled the name of our episode, like, Cats, Kung Fu, and Comedy, because that's where, <laughs> that's where that's we right. went. That's right, he's got all the cats too. I forgot about oh, that. Oh my God, so many cat stories. So let's start at the beginning, because... Okay. I, I have a huge respect for stand-up comedians in any capacity. It is I've, – I've never done it. I've always – people are always like, why don't you do stand-up? I go, because I'm comfortable behind a microphone. <laughs> Getting up on stage is like something I just – I have no desire to do. And I also do better when I'm bouncing off someone, not just going up there telling jokes. So how did you right. get into uh, stand-up comedy? I actually did my first stand-up shows when I was in high school, actually. Wow. Uh, I grew up in California. Mm-hmm. Home of a very famous club called the Ice House. Okay. And there was a gentleman by the name of Danny Mora who was doing stand-up workshops there. Mm-hmm. And as a high school senior, I took his his stand-up workshop. Hmm. And, and you know, I did okay. And then I ended up sort of looking for colleges. And the one day I'm at UCLA, they have a thing in the Daily Bureau, which is a student newspaper, about a thing on campus called the UCLA Comedy Club. And there's a group of students who go and perform in dorms and various places throughout the campus. And deliver like you know original material each time, and that was the thing that was cool that they figured out was we want people to keep keep coming to see us. So each show you had to come up with five to seven minutes of new stuff. Oh wow! 
And that was super challenging, but really great training ground for later on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I did stand up with kind of a who's who of American screenwriters and comedy. It was just amazing the group of people I was with. Oh, that's really cool. So what? So Jim Hertzfeld, mm-hmm. you know, meet the parents. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Shane Black. No. Yeah, Ed Solomon. Wow. You're... Yeah, and, and the list just goes on and on. It and then a number of people who also like Don Reed, who also went on and became really successful stand-ups. Mm-hmm. My buddy Howard Left did stand-up for a number of years. It was really funny. Did a bunch of evening at the improvs. That's awesome. So just a, a super duper talented group of people. So you and you mentioned pushing you every time to, to do new stuff. It really was a challenge. So I was going to ask, like, what is the biggest challenge for you? Because obviously you're you like writing. You're it's something that you're passionate about. It's something that you're you're trying to really make a niche for yourself about it. So did you find the writing aspect more difficult or the actual performing more difficult? For me, I always enjoyed the writing more. Yeah, I was definitely one of those guys where I would knock out a good show. It's first show Saturday mm-hmm. and rock it and go. OK, that's good. I'm good for a while. Wait, we got to do another one at 1030? Oh, damn. Okay. Wait, what? I have to. <laughs> you know, the, the guys who are super good at doing stand-up over and over again are the guys who really love being on stage and really love just, they can't wait till the next show. Right. And I was I was much more the guy where it's like, yeah, that's a good one. I'm, 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 I'm set with that show. But you'd have to do another show or another show after that. So Yeah, I totally get that. You know, it's kind of like the old Dorothy Parker thing, I guess. The, you know, didn't like writing, but loved having, having written. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Because like for so, us... Didn't love performing, but loved having people. Right. So like when we do podcasts, there are times where we do like three, four episodes in a row. And wow. And I love doing it. And then it's all the like the opposite work. The, you know, writing up descriptions and and putting it together and editing and this and that. And I'm like, man, why can't I just do the podcast part? I like that part. So, right. so like it's the opposite for you and yeah, me, but, yeah. I, but I totally get it. And how long did you do a stand-up for? Probably about a decade or so. Wow. It seems, seems to, things seem to be in 10-year funks with me. But yeah, I think think about – I went full-time on the road in 88 and was dabbling before that. That was sort of the peak of the boom. The thing that was really great was when I quit my job, I had dates from September of 88 through June of 89 already on the books. Oh, Wow. So it really gave me a little bit of comfort knowing that at least I had work for that period of time. It wasn't book solid. I certainly had holes, but mm-hmm. you know, and it was also good when I was trying to book people, they would call us like, when are you available? It's like, Oh, I don't have a date until X. And they'd be like, wow, you must be good if you're already booked this far. Oh yeah. Sales 101. <laughs> Make <laughs> right. yourself seem really busy. Right. But it's awesome. Cause like, you know, you, I've talked to YouTubers and, and influencers and people who do like stuff like this for an actual living. And it's, mm. it's scary. Like same with stand up yeah. comedy, like to, to go from maybe like a very comfortable nine to five type job or anything mm. like that. And then to do something purely based on creativity and purely based on an audience, like you have my respect immediately. And that's just, you know, for the stand up comedy. Yeah. You had, I mean, it was certainly the boom. So it certainly made it easier, but you, you did have to really market yourself. Mm. I mean, there were definitely guys and gals out there that were funnier than me, but I worked more than them because I, I worked the business part of it better than they did. Right. And that was before social media and you know, right. oh, sure. yeah. going viral. Like now a comedian or a TikToker just needs to make something, one thing that's really funny. Yeah. And then suddenly I, you got 18-year-olds who are billionaires on TikTok. Right. Now, to tell you how archaic it was, you, everyone had like phone cards so you could access a phone. Yep. And oh. no one 
No one had cell phones. No one had laptops. No one had anything. And so you'd wait for the headliner to get off the phone so you could finally call home. You know, it's one of those things. You know, I was I grew up during the technology boom, so I remember needing quarters to make phone yeah. calls. I remember all that stuff. Yeah. And right. now, now I couldn't imagine life without a cell phone. It's wild. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's it's funny. One of the guys who I used to work for, who just retired, would set up these one nighter runs, and he'd send you these pages per page after page of stuff that you take with you to all the gigs. Mm -hmm. They would tell you how to get to the next place. And the guy now, you know, before he quit, he said, "You have to have a laptop. I will not book you unless you have a laptop because I'm going to do last minute changes on you." Right. And so you you would just email them whatever the next day's itinerary. If you, if you could find a dial-up modem somewhere, obviously. <laughs> no, this is currently. I mean, oh, currently. Did. Okay, all right. I wasn't sure. Yeah, he quit, he quit maybe three years ago. Maybe oh, three okay. Years. All right. So let's... Yeah, a guy, a guy that Keith might have mentioned to you, maybe. A guy named Dave Tribble. Tribble he did. Rubs. Yeah, he did. Did that ring, did that ring bells? Ring, ringing a bell. Because I think I talked yeah. to Keith maybe almost, maybe like nine months ago. But right. But still, man, like, what what... What a guy Keith is. I hope he listens to this just to hear me kiss his ass the entire episode. <laughs> but probably will. I, I love it. No, the, triple, the triple gigs were legendary. Just for they were seemed like every week there was one show that was really good, two or three shows that were kind of eh, and one show was just like, why in the world am I doing this with my life? <laughs> it was like this is so bad. This is so not working. Yeah. And the strangest things would happen on triple gigs is the only only place I ever worked where I performed for a dog. All right, we're, we're, follow up question. Can you explain <laughs> that? You gotta explain that. You can't so, just leave me on that one. So it's this, it's this place in the middle of Montana. It's quote unquote a resort, and they decided to have us for a comedy show. And they had you know people in the seats, and they were like they're really old or really young. It was like you know board games that you always talk about being good for eight to eighty. Oh, this audience was either eight or eight. There was like almost nothing in between. That's wild. And there was a, there was a row down the middle. Okay. And then wanders into this casino thing, a dog. And everyone's like not blessed. They're in the middle of nowhere, Montana. They don't really care. The dog plops himself in the middle of the aisle. I'm like, oh, I guess I got to do my show. So I do my show. I do my act. I hit the first joke. And at the punchline, the dog barks. Yes, that's awesome. The people, the people think it's funny. So then they laugh. And this is the pattern for my whole set. So I deliver a joke. The dog will bark. And then only then will they laugh. So about five minutes in, I'm like, I'm performing for the dog. I need to get him to bark. I, I just, I'm glad the dog had a good sense of humor. <laughs> He's, it, he was perfect. That's so it, Not only did he have such a great sense of humor, he didn't interrupt any setups. He was flawless. He was amazing. Best audience you might have ever had. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny because with Keith, I talked about cats. And now with you, I'm talking about dogs. So it's like the, <laughs> the, the circle is now complete in that regard. Right, right. Right, so you did stand up for ten years, you mentioned, and right. let let's talk about your stint on Jeopardy, because I'm like okay. I'm like itching. I'm sitting here like trying to sit <laughs> still, because you know obviously people I like, like to let people know because people always want to talk about it. Obviously, because like it it's freaking Jeopardy. It's been around my entire life. Like my my mom says that when I was younger, I would actually hum the Jeopardy theme song while it was playing. So oh, like there you I, go. like little five year old Paul just sitting there like <laughs> rock it out, but. I'm more curious because I don't know too much about the behind the scenes stuff. Like obviously okay. you, you see the show, you see, you know, what happens, you know, the questions, the answers, questions, answers. So basically how did the contestant process work when you were doing it? Okay. So it's changed a bunch since then, but when I was there it used to be, and this is pre 9-11, mm -hmm. people would send postcards and we'd select them at random. Really? 
yeah. So that was how we booked the contestant searches. Mm-hmm. So there was no online pretest. There wasn't any of that stuff back then. Right. That's how I first got hired in was to be one of those people making the phone calls. And I was fortunate enough to be selected. It's like, well, if he's pretty good. Maybe we should keep him around and have him do some other stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, so on tape days, I would do the paperwork. You know, everyone had to sign a mile, you know, mile long thing of paperwork that they had to turn in. The thing I, I noticed almost right away, which I thought was really interesting, was I think in the general population, left-handers are about maybe 10 to 25%. Yeah, something like that. Given Jeopardy, in any given Jeopardy room, it was about 50%. Really? There are tons of left-handers every day. I wonder if there's a correlation. I don't know, but it always fascinated me. I was just like, wow, there are a ton of lefties here in here today. Yeah, my dad and my brother are both left-handed, and I'm not. And my dad is really smart, and I'm not. So I'm starting. <laughs> I'm going to get a complex. I'm going to talk to my therapist about this one now. So this is a new thing for you to watch on the show. Are people ringing in right hand or left hand? Well, I, I always watch. found it interesting how people buzz on that show. You'll get yeah. some people that will just stand there, and they'll buzz like underneath so you can't see it. Or you got the people that are like, yeah. like rapid right. fire clicking as fast as they can. There was that right, right. one guy. I forget. James maybe? He, he had like a whole big winning stint too on the show. Or a whole tower, probably, yeah. Yeah, and I hated him. Era, but he was a good player, for sure. I, I hated him, though. I, I Like, he was so smug. <laughs> he was so smug. And I was like, oh, I, I just yeah. hate this guy. But He rubbed people around way through. And For some know, people, that's true, yeah. Yeah, but you know what? In all honesty, if I hate somebody on a TV show, they're doing something right. They're eliciting that emotion. I know it's not like a scripted yeah. TV show or anything like that, but he was... They're getting you engaged. They're getting you to watch, but yeah. I, I would watch just to hope he would lose. <laughs> right. Like it was, it right. was wild. My, if ever like he comes on for like a tournament of champions or like he's on, I think he's on another show right now. Like he comes on the TV. Yeah, he's on a show called Chase that my buddy Don actually does a warm up for. So oh, yeah, it's awesome. good. He fits well in there. So whenever he comes on TV, I just like scowl. My wife's like, "Stop, <laughs> stop it! You, he, <laughs> he's real, but he's not real. He can't hurt you." Yeah. I'm just even even you know even nice Ken and it sort of created some of that animosity with some people right i, I can imagine it was, it was very interesting during his streak because you know he was on for so long and we'd bring the new contestants in that day and you know they all just like clockwork would watch the show the night before mm-hmm. well ken was on the night before right and also ken's in the room with them and they're like doing the math in their head like wait when is the show airing and we tell them and they'd start doing the math. I was like, well, wait, how many shows has he won now? That's and then we tell them. And, and you could literally see people in the room just checking out. Mm-hmm. Just like, I have no chance. I have no shot. And you could just, you could see it in their eyes just almost immediately. That's like, okay, they're checking out. It's unfortunate. But that's, you know, they, they've convinced themselves they have no chance. They psyched themselves out of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So how so many? Ken, Ken, would do, Ken would do some interesting stuff. The other thing he would do that I thought was really interesting was, I write up front in the earlier rounds. Most people play Jeopardy. It's like, you know, you hear the question, do I know the answer? Okay, I'll ring it. Mm-hmm. He was very clearly, at least to me, was looking at, you know, timing the response from Alex and then ringing in and figuring in the time that the countdown lights go down, I'll figure out the answer. Oh, wow. So he inverted the game. And by doing that, all the other people freaked out and said, oh, geez, I need to ring in fast. Or I'm never going to get the chance to answer a question. And then they would ring in and not even be able to answer the question because they're going too quick. Yeah. You know, people forget that Jeopardy, like all these games are also strategic. You're you're competing against other people. I think people forget that for Jeopardy because it's very one-on-one. Like the camera's only on the one person. Yeah. Um, Wheel of Fortune's similar because I know that's that's on right after Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. And 
the camera will pan and then on the like do a wide shot of everybody when the like the wheels spinning or when the contestants are or, like the questions being asked, and then it'll single in so you forget that they're also competing against these other people. Right. You know, right. for like Wheel of Fortune, it's like, well, if I pick this letter, are they going to pick this letter, or if, do I buy this vowel? So, game shows are interesting because because they're not scripted and because they are very fluid and they really depend on what each of those people are because they're not actors. Yeah, I not, mean, some some are some happen to be, but it's rare. Yeah, yeah. So I find that really interesting, and it's funny because like you mentioned Ken's long winning streak. It, during that time growing up, there was a lot of big winning streaks. And we're going to talk sports in a few minutes, which is if, if anybody knows me, you can make fun. We're going to talk about sports. I'm the worst. <laughs> but like Mark McGuire and and the home run yeah. craze of the 90s where everybody was watching and waiting, him and Sammy Sosa, who was going to like – and it reminds me of, of Ken Jennings and just you know who's going to dethrone him, who's going to you know be the next one to make X amount of money. So yeah. it's, it's interesting because we get so engaged as a culture – of, of these people that we idolize. So yeah, it's, it was very interesting this past year. We had quite a few multi winners, probably more so than almost any other season. Really? And I almost, I almost wonder if the COVID kind of played into that. If people had all this excess time to really study. Well, I mean, that that's what happened with us in the podcast. We were booking interviews over like rapid yeah. fire just because, oh, I bet. you know, Zoom Some people available, yeah. and Zoom started, which was a huge, big like podcast boost. And then, Suddenly, there were hundreds of thousands of podcasts everywhere. <laughs> like we we've been podcasting for a few years, like well before COVID started. I'd, I'd say we started like our first show around seven years ago. Took a couple of breaks, then we added more shows. Now we're doing different things, so it, it's been a fun process for us. But now to see so many, so many shows pop up, it's wild. Yeah, it really is. So let's talk about the thing that I know you you're here to talk about. And I'm excited to talk to you about it because it's something that I'm not too knowledgeable about and I love learning and I love talking to people who are passionate, who know things and obviously creative. So you have an audiobook. Let's start off with what's the name of the audiobook? Okay, so it's called Some Sports Stories. Right. And uh, the COVID thing sort of plays into here too because suddenly I had all this time to create something that I sort of had in the back of my head. My friend Erin O'Connor was one of the first persons to do an edit on it. She's a stand-up. She was a perfect person because she's a stand-up comic so she would get the funny. And her dad was a famous sports writer in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. In, in fact, one of he, he was the official scorekeeper from one of the scorecards that's in the Hall of Fame. That's in Cooperstown. awesome. It's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would tell her all my stories, and then she'd come back with me her stories. And I'd be like, you're the one who should be writing the book. Because <laughs> her stories were just incredible. Mm -hmm. So maybe one day she'll do it. But, but it's a collection of short stories. It's... Some of them are about me growing up. There's one where I talk about, you know, in the very beginning, I talk about growing up in Pasadena. And my dad was very sports crazy. And I had three brothers. And we played ball in the front yard. And we were close enough to the Rose Bowl where we could play football out front, hear a big cheer, and run in and watch a replay. Oh, that's awesome. That was really cool. And so we were just sort of all raised in this. This My folks both went to USC. I ended up going to UCLA, ironically. And, but he was super into sports and sort of got me involved in it and would always score keep at the games where that comes into play a little later on in the last story where I talk about how he would score keep and how ironic it was that he would keep this meticulous scorebook. And then like typical Dodger fans, we would leave in the seventh inning. <laughs> so he had every pitch, every out, every, everything. And they would just stop after seven. Oh, that's funny. 
And so I, at the funeral, I said, it would be great if we could have brought him in closer to finish his book. Yeah. And I talk a little bit more about that. But no, there, there are stories, you know, about me and me growing up and playing various sports like tennis and a little bit of golf. I was a scorekeeper for the boys basketball team at John Muir High School in Pasadena, which is where I met both our narrators, both Jesse Boyd and John DeRichieters, who did a great job on the on the reading and narrating of it. So I talk about the various things that happened to me when I was one of which was I was totally convinced I had somebody score wrong. And I was like, I screwed this up. I can't, I can't believe I screwed up. How am I going to fix it? And I went to the other scorekeeper because we still has a scorekeeper. Right. He goes, no, he, this is pretty much what he does every game. Oh, that's wild. And so, so I said, okay, I guess I'm right. And, and the guy who was the person was the Byron Scott for former, former Lakers star. And if you get the book, it comes with a supplemental material collection. If they don't get it, then they can write you and you can write me and I'll send it to them. Awesome. But the, the official scorecard is actually in the book. It's in the supplemental material, the actual scorecard that I kept with him scoring all these points based huh. on everybody else. That's so cool. Uh, the other fun story was we, we had a very integrated high school and we had two guys named Taylor. Oh. And one was black and one was white. But the guy at the paper would ask, are they brothers? Of, of course, because that's the, the logical. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the first time I laugh, and I go, no, they're not. And he keeps asking me game after game after game. And so finally, I just give up and go, okay, fine, they're brothers. Yep. And so that's what they printed in the paper, and everyone was just fit <laughs> to be tied. Oh, that's awesome. They were, they were not happy with that scenario. And I tried like crazy during the pandemic to find the actual original article to this. Right. But alas, I have not had any luck. I Lost, will find it one day. Lost the time at this point, probably. Yeah. But then, then then we segue into, you know, various exploits. My daughter was a pretty good athlete. She played softball for a time, played basketball. So I actually have video of her, you know, playing basketball in the time that she had doing that. And then we segue to my, my dad passing and that stuff. Mm -hmm. But most of the stories are really funny. There's one where I was a little kid playing basketball and got a little too focused on the basketball game. A little too comfortable and started doing something to my back end that I probably shouldn't have done in front of a fan full, a crowd full of people. <laughs> I started to do a little little digging, shall we say. Oh, God. See, now I'm going to have to get the book just for that one part. That's yeah. right. It's, it's most people's favorite story, ironically enough. Well, it's funny because like um, sports sports are, are such an awesome – Like, so again – I am not a sports fan. I am never going to be the one going, let's go to a game. Let's do this. I'm going to be the one yeah. going, what are we eating during the Super Bowl? <laughs> like, what are the commercials that we're going to see? But yeah. the one thing about sports that I always loved and I always respected is the camaraderie between the teammates, the coach, and just even now, in a, like in a culture where respect is not always the highest thing. Yeah, I, I so part of my job, my real person job, not my podcast job, mm. is I do security for sporting events, and see, and, and none it, of it's that's it. That's how how ironic is that? It doesn't rub off on you at all being at these events because I don't get to watch the game. I have to watch the people. Uh, it sucks, but I always make sure that I, I check out the kids and because it's it's high school level, and you'll okay. see. You'll see kids like you'll see football players like tackle the other person, then help them up, and you know, you yeah. know, give them a pat on the shoulder, and then at the end of the game, they all shake hands. A lot of them are they're friends now. It's very different than you know, like even when I was a kid, you didn't know other teams, but now right. kids are playing. Uh, they're doing travel teams. They're doing school sponsored yeah. teams. They're doing all sorts of things, and obviously, social media plays a, a bigger factor into it nowadays. So even though I don't follow sports, I do like hockey. I will say that I'm a hockey fan. If it's on, I'll watch it. I enjoy it. Okay. But otherwise, like if we're if we're watching a game or like me and my friends, 
I'll just be like, what just happened? They're like, well, they just scored. I'm like, how many points is that? They're like, it's a touchdown. Well, how many is that? You're not answering me. So it's more like the running joke at this point. So whenever I make a sports reference, everybody's really excited. It's it's funny that you mentioned the sort of, you know, camaraderie that happens in between because there's one of the stories in the book that is quite the opposite of that. Really? I was playing tennis in middle school and I played was playing number one singles that day. Mm-hmm. I would alternate, but that day I was playing number one. And I was, we were playing a school called Elliot and I beat their number one. And what happened was really odd right after that happened. Right after that happened, a whole group of their his, his teammates came over to me and congratulated me for beating their teammate. Uh-oh. Really? They they apparently hated this guy so much. Oh, they were thrilled that I had beaten him. That's rough. That's rough. Yeah. And then I told them that I'd probably end up playing with them, and you know, next year in high school. And they're like, "Okay, we'll see you there." I mean, at least you made friends. <laughs> yeah, and we actually, you know, we actually did play on the same tennis team. So. Oh, that's funny. But it, it just—it was just so odd to be almost carried off on someone else's shoulders for beating their teammate. Some people need to be humbled a little. Some people need to be taken (laughs) down a few pegs. I'll be the first one to say it. Right? But uh, So for me, the only quote-unquote sport that I did was, and this is even funnier when I started talking to Keith about it. So I did Taekwondo for years. Oh, so there you go. So like this. Keith and I went on for like 20 minutes just about martial arts. And then (laughs) Keith and I were the perfect storm of just people to talk to. Like, because at the same, so we both did martial arts. Obviously, we're both in some sort of creative medium, him more Mm -hmm. with the stand up and me here. And then I had just gotten a cat at the time. Oh, nice. So funny. So, like, I think the cat even came downstairs at one point and like jumped up on the screen or something (laughs) like that. So, like, it's like the universe was like, you need to talk to Keith. And then when Keith reached out about talking to you, I was like, I need to listen to Keith and talk to Bob (laughs) because. He's a Zen master. He knows. He always knows. It's wild. Yeah. And he'll tell you that he knows. Like, he'll... Oh, he's, he's, yeah, he's an amazing guy. I was very thrilled that he's, yeah, I, he, he, I sent him a draft of the book when it was actually a book mm-hmm. and he's like, I, I love it. And it's like, it was like an hour, it was like an hour or an hour and a half later. And it was before it was an audio book and he read it like that. You finished it really already. Oh, that's <laughs> like, awesome. He goes, I read it. I love it. Great. So where where did that decision come from to go from something written to the audio only? Yeah. So what happened was a couple of things. First of all, my friend Nancy Young, who's an author, had thought that the audio market was a good way to go, mm-hmm. that it was easier to get into. You didn't need to know somebody to get started, so to speak. And then it dawned on me, it's like, you know, both Jesse and DeAndre both do voiceover work for all kinds of different people. Maybe mm-hmm. they would do it for me and we could have them both do it. And, you know, we, we get together and play golf all the time. And so, you know, now, now it is when we get go play golf, I get to hand him a check along with, which is kind of fun. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah. So that seemed like making more sense. And I, I thought that, you know, especially since the stories, stories are so short and it's not one long continuous story mm-hmm. that it would make sense to banter back and forth between narrators. Yeah. And Cause it, it kind of breaks and up. It the... really brought a bunch of the stories to life. There were a couple of stories that I wrote where it's like, I don't know. Is that enough of the story? And then they read it. And it's like, oh yeah, that is a good story. <laughs> okay. And the cool yeah. thing about audiobooks is you're also they're also performing to a degree, right? Yeah, totally. Like yeah. I, I've my wife loves audiobooks. I I like to like I need to hold something. Yeah. I need to read it. But I can I can always throw. They're like podcasts. I can throw them on like if I'm you know cleaning the house, working out, whatever. And if you get an audiobook where the the narrator is just like. Even if it matches the tone of the book, I, it still takes me out it's completely. Deadly. Yes, it's deadly. Yeah, absolutely. 
like even comedians like you know like Woody Allen was very deadpan what he talked and did his right. comedy and it's like it worked because that kind of matched his personality but at this but like if I'm just listening to something and not seeing it or or you know yeah. reading it, it it makes it hard if it's just one tone so I think actually having two different narrators who also are voice actors is like golden yeah it's, it's it turned out really well I mean it's interesting what you say about the comedians because I have one of the Eddie Izzard books as an audiobook. Mm-hmm. And he has so many footnotes, it's really hard to follow. It's almost draining. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can imagine. So, you know, he's so on. And then he goes to footnotes. It's like, okay, sidebar. Okay, this. Okay, that. And you're just like, okay, where are we again? And then am I still driving? Yeah, I am still driving my car. Where I'm am I? Looks around. That. Yeah. So that one sort of took me right out. It was just like, oh, my goodness, this is too much. Well, before we started recording, you know, we obviously we do a little pre-show here at the show, get to mm-hmm. know because – you know, for those of you guys who don't know, and we were chatting and I said, I love talking to comedians because they keep you on your toes and the banter tends to go so quick. And I find that when, when people sit here and they kind of think about their answers, so yeah. sometimes it, it works out really well. And obviously I edit out all the spaces, so nobody knows how long that actually <laughs> is. But like there are times where you edit out the long pregnant pauses as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> one of the first interviews that I did, and I won't say who, I won't say what, because obviously that interview still exists and it's there. The, okay. Not not only was there a mild language barrier, not only oh. was there a delay in Zoom, but also he was an older gentleman and he like he was great, like he was a good sport, but I would say <laughs> something and then it would be like a seven second delay. And oh, no. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Am I frozen? Is this working? <laughs> so I would I would start talking again, and then we'd overtalk, yeah. which on Zoom, uh, unfortunately, overtalk is kind of a thing. It just happens, but it, it was it was it was painful. It was a good learning experience, though. Tough. Now, speaking of learning experiences, I want yeah. to really quick circle back to comedy. Did okay. you did you ever have a negative experience on stage that turned into a learning experience? Mm, I'm sure I did. I probably blocked them out. They're painful that way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. I ended up working a week in Portland, and our headliner that week was Steve Harvey. Wow. And even then, he had it. You know, he didn't have a ton of material, but people loved him so much, it didn't matter. It was his personality. He was a big oh, personality. Yeah, huge personality. He had a couple killer bits. Mm-hmm. He had one boxing bit that was just dynamite. I'm going to have to look it up. He, Probably in a 45-minute set, maybe half was improv. Wow. Yeah, maybe that much. I mean, it probably was somewhat more planned than not. Mm-hmm. But up front, you know, a lot of times when you're doing the first spot, which is what I was doing that week, people sort of tune you out. Right. And I'm really struggling that week trying to figure out, it's like, what are, you know, what am I doing? You know, what can I do to get these people? And he was just like, that's really good. I'm glad you're figuring out what you need to do rather than blaming them for you not doing well. Right. It, so it's hard being a, it's hard being an opener. We went to go see Kevin Hart maybe like four or five years ago. And mm-hmm. I remember we're sitting there. Not only did the show start late. So already like it's a Sunday yeah. night. The show was supposed to start at 8. It's now 8.25, 8.30. We finished mm-hmm. our beers and we didn't want to get up to go back to the bar because like the lines right. were crazy. And then right. suddenly he had like six of his friends come out as openers. Oh, too many. And they were funny. But at the same time, you could tell the entire crowd was like, uh, maybe if they started like earlier, yeah, we'd be all about it. But like it, it was, yeah. it was painful. 
some point you start looking at watch like I'm paying someone to take care of my pals. Well, even better, they they were strict about cell phones. So if you took mm-hmm. out your cell phone, they threw you yeah. out. Right. They like they didn't play around. Like that's a big thing nowadays. We saw Chris mm-hmm. Rock. Chris Rock actually had us put our cell phones in the like at check in. You got a bag that a you clear put bag. Your, yeah. It was like, and then they would lock it, and you had to get it unlocked on the way out. It it was just like. And he even addressed it like in the show because I guess he he they were filming it for Netflix and he mm-hmm. was a bit about his extramarital affairs and he's like this uh-huh. is the part that I didn't want on anybody's cell phone footage <laughs> so it was funny but like at the same time it's frustrating sometimes you know they it gets super strict but so the last thing obviously because we're running a little low on time if somebody okay. wants to hear your book how is the best way for them to do that. Okay, there are a number of places you can get it. Barnes and Noble's a good spot. You do need to get the Nook app to be able to hear it. If you have an iPhone, the, I, the little iBooks area, the Apple Books area is there. That one actually, I think, comes with the supplemental material. Awesome. Um, awesome. Or, or there. You mentioned Spotify. I think we're now newly on Spotify as of maybe a week or two ago. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, I love me some Spotify. So Google, Google Play, we're on. We're on a number of places. And it's you know it runs about 15 bucks. It's not crazy. For, for a book? No. Yeah. So, uh, you know, some places a little less, but that's about, about what the, the, you know, the going rate is, so to speak. The going rate, indeed. Uh, and it's like you said, I mean, it's a, a really good book for just, you know, want to hear a story or two while you're working out or, you know, you're visiting the restroom, what have you. It's very catch of the chase storytelling. So if you're the type of person who likes, you know, four pages describing what a leaf looks like in some fiction, this is not that book. So oh, it's catch of the chase. Here's the story. Here's the stuff. Which I think most people really respond to and they like. It's just like, just tell me the story. You know? Now for I don't need all the all the descriptive stuff. Right. So for people like me though, who aren't the biggest sports fans, are we still gonna be able to at least like I'm sure we'll be able to relate to like the stories or the storytelling or just the funny? Yeah. A number of people have said that they they like it, you know, my relationship with my daughter, my relationship with my dad, my relationship growing up with, you know, other friends and family and whatnot. I think there's enough to respond to where people People like it. And I've had a couple really good reviews. There's one on Google Play with a woman who read it or heard it. And she's like, you know what? I didn't expect to like this as much as I do. But there's a lot of variety of stories. They're not all the same thing. And, you know, it's it's very enjoyable to hear all these, you know, he tells all these stories. He tells a good story. Yeah. I actually, I found it. I found the, the review. So, because for our listeners, I'm going to make sure that when I post the episode, when it's up and live, I want to make sure that I put some links on there so, you know, people can can take a peek any website like anything like that that you have personally or anything along those lines i don't as of yet i probably should but <laughs> not, not as yet I, I i engage with people on facebook or like i said if you if they contact you to get the supplemental stuff i'll send it to them oh yeah absolutely guys if you have questions or want you know more of the information please reach out you guys know the website misfitfaction.com and our email misfitfaction at gmail.com now before we end what's what's <laughs> what's next well, we're hoping to do well with this book. I've got more stories that I'm working on. So this is some sports stories. One day we hope to have more sports stories. <laughs> and then if it goes really well and it just goes nuts, then I'm going to do a charity book called Your Sports Stories. Oh, that's awesome. So people would submit their stories and we'd pick the best of the best. And we'd have to all agree on a charity of some kind. But I think it would make, make for a very good book. I love that. That's that's fantastic. Any uh, would you ever want to go out of like like for you personally? I'm sure you could write like my comedy stories or some comedy stories. <laughs> right. 
So I don't know. I toyed with the idea of doing like a work one because I've worked, you know, obviously Jeopardy would be an interesting phase. Mm -hmm. I was working at McCann Erickson when New Coke came out. So there's some good stories around that. Oh, God, not New Coke. (laughs) Nothing divided a nation more than New Coke. Still hear stories it, about New Coke. It's it it. I remember that one day we were at the agency, we tasted it, and we kind of looked at each other, and we we're like, "This is not good. No. <laughs> this is kind of a disaster." Yeah, they they had New Coke on that episode of Stranger Things, and like they they had a debate oh, yeah. on the show about it. And I was like, "Nobody likes New Coke." It's Pepsi, basically, or they tried to make it Pepsi. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. And thanks for disappearing. But uh, yeah, yeah so, so I may do something you know work related, and then some of the stand-up stories could be there as well. Sure. Oh, that would be great. I so I already have your book ready to go, and maybe you know, right, maybe a nice little gift for the wife. She, my wife loves she loves audiobooks. She loves books in general. She has a book page that she runs, so might be a little nice little present for her. For you know, it's, the episode's going to come out after Christmas, but it's before right. Christmas now. So so you guys listening okay, into so the, let me give me. Let me give a quick little plug over my shoulder. This is a cover of the book over one part. Yes. If you there. And up higher, my daughter is a super talented artist. Uh-huh. So that's actually a hole that she painted. My favorite hole here in Long Beach. Really? Yeah. I thought that was an actual <laughs> an actual picture of a golf course. No. Wow. No, no. She painted it. Yeah, she's very talented. Oh, that's awesome. That's so really I've been cool. begging. I've been begging for a couple of years, and she finally came through. So that was good. I love it. So that that's the best <laughs> way. Best shout out to end the show. So, Bob, I want to thank you again for jumping on. I really do appreciate it, guys. Don't forget if you go to our website, themisfitfaction.com, or you check on our Facebook pages when we post this episode, you'll find links to the show and links to Bob's book. So if you guys are interested, that's the place to do it. So thank you again, Bob, for jumping on. I really do appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's been fun. Thank you. Man, that was a great show. Like seriously, Bob was was fantastic. And like I said in the beginning, he uh, he really worked with us and scheduling. I know a lot of you guys have been asking why interviews haven't been happening as often. And I'll be honest, it's purely just a scheduling issue and and even more honest, an issue with our publicist at the time. And uh, we'll get into that at some point. It's a little fresh, but uh, we want to thank you guys for, for listening on and still enjoying our show, still giving us feedback, listening to our topics, listening to us talk about shit that we really don't know about, but still try really hard to learn about. So don't forget, guys, if you're looking for more of our content, again, our website, themisfitfaction.com. You can also find us on all sorts of Insta, of social media, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Just type in The Misfit Faction or MF Uncensored and odds are you'll find some of our stuff. And I want to thank you guys for listening. As always, I'm Paul and thank you guys. We'll see you next time.